show, show us your love. Baby. Baby. And you've dialed in to the heavyweight heartbreaker hotline. Baby. Yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us, Brad Tanner and Hugo Bloom, the Heavyweight Heartbreakers, for episode three of the Heavyweight Heartbreaker Hotline. This week, we talked to Carl Atlas, friend of ours, been in the wrestling business for 18 years, huge, huge fountain of knowledge. And we put to him all the questions you've been asking us over this last week. We also find out what's hot and what's not this week. And We have a very special tip of the week coming to you from Jethro, the Lucha Landlord. Thank you and enjoy the show. And it's time for this week's Who's Hot and Who's Not. Each week we'll give a shout out and love to somebody we think deserves it and we'll be giving the thumbs down to someone or something that doesn't. And what's hot this week? Well, it's got to be Jimbo and Francis Drake and their isolation station. Some positive news coming out of some dark times. Head over to the UBW Square One page and check it out. And what's not this week? Well, this one's a sad one for me. He was a childhood icon. It's got to be Goldberg. I am after his WrestleMania match, and I know he's not helped by not having any crowd, but his, his aura and his character just doesn't work without an audience. And the quality of the match was just, just not there for me. So unfortunately, this week's What's Not, it's got to be Goldberg. And this week, we're joined by Carl Atlas, the agile powerhouse, the beast from the southeast, the man mountain, the keyboard warrior. He's had many monikers during his career, a career that started at the age of just 16 years of age and is still going strong at 34 having appeared for dozens of promotions across the south of the UK and wrestled some of the top names in the country. Notable moments including hardcore clashes for big league wrestling, where he was involved in a match with Abyss, working for Premier Promotions and facing Doug Williams, holding multiple singles and tag team titles in places like UBW, SWF and many more. Atlas was the founder of Kapow Wrestling and is now carving a niche as the hardcore keyboard warrior. Welcome, Carl. Oh, thanks for having me on, boys. Oh, that was a uh, that was quite the introduction. There, it was almost like uh, you know someone near and dear to me wrote that, <laughs> you know, to help uh, hype me up a little bit. But it was a good job. Well, you should read. use it as your new entrance. I, you know, that I, I was thinking that I was listening to that, thinking, God, you know, it's making me sound like a real superstar. I might might have to use this everywhere until people actually start to believe it. But no, maybe we can get um john at premier to announce you with that next time it would take it that, that introduction through mr Fremantle's um particular <laughs> stylings we'd still be sat here several years later um bless his heart he's he's very very uh different stuck in his ways isn't he 
Oh, I love him. I do love as well. Him. I do very much so. But yeah, no, honestly, pleasure to be on. Um, as soon as you boys said that you were doing a podcast, I was I was very keen to get on. Um, you know, I've known you guys a long time, and uh, you know, I'd, uh, anything I can do to support and help your creative outlets, I'm all for. Thanks very much, Carl. I mean, you're you're one of the first names, obviously, we've had on, second only to to Mr. Storm last week. Um, and the 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 week before that, um, we were really just going through some history of the heavyweight heartbreakers, and 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 you came up on that as well, obviously being yeah one of the one of the core guys in our careers so far. I, I've listened. Um, I really enjoyed your first one. Um, you know, again, it. I, I'm in the same boat. I think we're all in the same boat. We're all suffering a little bit with this quarantine malarkey and we're trying to find as many different outlets as we can to keep our minds active and stay creative. And, um, you know, as I said, I support you guys, but I support anyone that is trying to do those same things at the moment and just, you know, taking this opportunity to use the time creatively in any way that they can. Cool. So we're going to just have a, a bit of a, an informal chat with you really um, going over some of the questions that we've been sent in from fans sent in from from fellow workers actually and from from trainees that are just starting out in the scene so I don't know we're, uh, without starting with a question could you tell us a bit more about starting in the wrestling business at the age of 16 that's quite well, Quite a young age. Yeah, well, technically, it was even younger than that. Um, I have vivid. It's funny, isn't it? That you know, the further back you go, the farther it gets. But I get, I have got a vivid memory of going into my local Woolworths with my brother and buying VHS. Um, there was a double pack of um, WrestleMania 2000, which came with the best of Raw. Uh, I believe it was Volume One at the time um, in a double pack, and I think he bought that. And I bought King of the Ring 99 um, as that was also there. And uh, I remember we watched uh, King of the Ring 99 and that was the year that um, Billy Gunn won. Um, and I was really into Ken Shamrock, I seem to remember. And he, he was doing the whole angle with the internal bleeding um, to kind of write off why the most dangerous man alive wouldn't win a tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, I was hooked in from there on. I, I'd always enjoyed... <sighs> certain aspects of sports but i was never particularly competitive certainly not competitive with other people um in secondary school i really excelled at things like trampolining um i did play a bit of rugby um my dad had done some boxing in the past and had a uh, punch bag set up in our garage and you know i was trying you know i was active but i wasn't competitive i didn't go in for football i didn't go in for anything like that i enjoyed the sports that were a little bit more you know challenging just to yourself and then when I watched wrestling, I, ha I have, again, vague memories of my uncle recording pay-per-views and WCW and things off of Sky because he had Sky and we didn't. So I, I, was, I was always being exposed to wrestling, but in dribs and drabs. But I, was, it's that, I think it's the feeling, the memory of being like looking forward to seeing those things um, more so than, than remembering any particular matches or anything like that. So as I say, having that kind of drive to do something active but not be competitive and then watching wrestling all the pieces fell into place and i was lucky um i had a, i had a younger brother um that was up for being thrown around and we would take put put pill pillows and cushions whatever we could into the garden cover it all with a big tarp and then just beat the snot out of each other for an hour we had no idea what we were doing and you know again 
I, we say this all the time now that we're kind of in that professional bracket, like, you know, don't try this at home. But the truth of the matter is, is that whatever you are inspired by as a kid, you are going to try and emulate at, at home, whether it's watching Power Rangers or whatever it is. We all monkey see, monkey do, don't we? We all imitate what we're yeah. exposed to. And so that's what me and my brother did. We watched wrestling. We imitated it. And, you know, we... So at least... Go on. At least, at least you and your brother decided to go out in the garden and and not wreck riot on the the living room like uh, me and my siblings. Did. Absolutely, <laughs> we we had a loft space. We my my dad had converted our loft space, but it was one of those really cramped ones where the walls were uh, on a diagonal slope, and um, that we found very quickly that you know we were taking bumps on these. Um, uh, mattresses and the whole house was shaking so we we, <laughs> we migrated into the garden and uh you know we, we put as many different soft furnishings down as we could find so we were about as safe as we possibly could have been uh within those sort of silly parameters but then that grew again i discovered that there was actually a wrestling school not far from me down um down the road in portsmouth and fratton which is the um the famed fwa academy um as it was at the time and uh my dad the only problem is is that i couldn't go there consistently my dad worked a lot he was on call i, I you know I, I was young i didn't know you know public transport was a bit of a mystery to me i didn't have any income of my own so i was very much reliant on when my mum and dad could afford to send me and i would go as often as i could but the whole thing was very intimidating and very sporadic and so um and I, again i'm not going to condone this but i I got impatient and so I booked a wrestling ring and I booked a venue and I put on my own show. Um, but this was again, again, before I had no, I had no business being in a ring in front of a crowd, but I was in college and I, I by this time I had amassed uh, a group of friends who were very much into wrestling as well. Um, and had been coming around and joining in on my brother's sparring events. And, um, and so we all sort of sat down and said, oh, you know, it'd be great, wouldn't it? If we took this to the next level, we got a ring and we did it in front of people. And so, you know, we, by word of mouth alone, we sort of sold tickets to friends and family and we filled out a school hall, um, more or less anyway, you know, it was, it was, you know, for the time, what I would consider to be quite a good little crowd. We hired a ring and uh, we put together this, this show. And to us, it was like WrestleMania, but you know, again, it was silly. We shouldn't have done it, but it, what I take away from that was that it crystallized for me. It was that first moment of like, yes, I want to do this. This is, this is a hundred percent for me. And from then on, I started to get um, a little bit more serious in my training. And what age, what age would that have been? That you so, were so as I say, I, I put that show together when I was at college. So I started doing the thing with my brother around about 15, 16. And then by about 17, 18, um, I was, <laughs> I was uh, promoting my own little, you know, what backyard quality shows, but they, you know, it was in a hall with a crowd. It was, that must be one of the youngest promoters ever. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, certainly at that time I would think so. Yeah. I, I it's, it's ridiculous to even say promoter. I had no idea what I was doing. I was fumbling in the dark, but it, it, what I remember about it is that, you know, I was, it was exciting and it was genuinely, we all had a, passion and and it was something that i was like it was just for me as i say it crystallized it i want to be a wrestler that moment there getting out in front of a crowd and fumbling my way through a few, a few moves with no it was zero psychology zero storytelling but <laughs> just being in front of a crowd was like yes okay this is for me 
Um, and I, as I say, from that point forward, I took my training a lot more seriously. Any other workers we know that would have been on your fumbling? Uh, Steve Luther. Uh, he was there. Um, no, I think that's very much it. Um, a lot of them. Is, is there any? Sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to say, my brother, my brother followed me for a little while um, and became um, Craig London on some of the smaller shows. Um, but he um, he just kind of, I think, grew out of it a little bit. Um, there's a there's a nice story um, because all of that happened before I went away to university. And my brother and I were those classic brothers where we only had about three or four years of difference between us in age. And so we clashed, you know, when I wanted, when I was going through that stage in a young man's life where he wants a bit of privacy, um, Craig was very much kind of, you know, wanted to be involved in everything. And so we clashed and we thought, um, you know, wrestling was a great outlet, but then I moved away to university. I actually moved out of home and I went and lived um, elsewhere and Craig was still at home with my parents. And there was a moment I remember he, he phoned me up out of the blue and was like, you know, what are you up to? Can I come and stay with you for a few days? You know, kind of, you know, in that kind of macho ombre kind of didn't want to admit it, but we definitely missed each other type way. And um, so he came down and spent some time with me and he found out that I had been wrestling with a, with a promotion that was um, fairly local to the area that I went to university in, um, which was the um, EWF under John Copping. And uh, he was like, you know, do you think I could come down to a few shows? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I could put in a word and, you know, you can come and wrestle me and show me, show them what you've got. And so again, for another couple of years there, he sort of stuck around and he was a, a fixture in my wrestling life for a while. And I think it was that common ground that helped us reconnect and, and Craig had certainly matured and I had matured somewhat. And so, you know, we weren't brothers that were at each other's throats anymore. We were brothers, brothers with a common goal that were a bit older and a bit wiser. You know, I even, I even had the opportunity to um, tag with him on a show in Eastleigh um, against uh, Jake McCluskey and Will Davison's The Ego Express, and you know it's one of those memories that will, that I'll hold on to that for a long time. Oh, that's incredible. So, also thinking about your early days, then, um, who would you say from the wrestling business would have been your biggest influence? So, I was always, and I mean, this is going to sound um, you know a bit obvious, but I was always enamoured with um, the big guys who could move really well. And so um, the earliest example that I can think of that I connected with would, would be like Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, here's, here's a guy that was built, you know, he's certainly bigger than me, but he was huge, you know, um, and he could do a cartwheel and a moonsault and the diving headbutt and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, it, it again, it was one of those crystallizing moments of like, I don't need to look like a bodybuilder because I certainly wasn't. I was a bit of a, you know, I was a bin bag full of mashed potato, even at that age. And um, I was like, I, I don't need to look like a bodybuilder in order to be a wrestler. I can, I can do the things that I want to do and, and look a bit like Bam Bam Bigelow. And then again, you know, you've got, um, you know, the, the sort of stumpier guys like Taz, you know, I started getting into ECW again, thanks to um, VHS collections and where i grew up there was a choices video they had a bargain bin and every weekend they had new ecw tapes in there i was like how is this even a thing but you know i'd pick up these ecw tapes and again i was blown away by the in-ring product um you know bam bam bigelow sticks out and then later on you know still in the same vein um when ring of honor became a thing i got really into samoa joe 
and then um, later on Kevin Owens. There's always been someone that fits into that kind of not a bodybuilder, but very agile and very athletic, um, you know, capable big lads. There's always been someone that I've been able to point to and go, that's who I want to be like um, at any stage in my development. So, yeah, bam, bam, all the way up to present day Kevin Owens. Um, those kind of guys were the guys that I really wanted to pattern myself after. That being said, uh, as a teenager, I was a huge, huge Hardy Boys mark. Um, and, you know, I wanted, I wanted so, but I was very much into that grunge goth slash street, um, you know, skater um kind of you know i was kind of go out in my criminal damage three quarter lengths with a keychain hanging off and uh green spiky hair and an offspring hoodie you know i really wanted to be at one point i wanted to be jeff hardy and have the cut up stockings that uh would go up my arms and things like that um yeah so i think we all went through that stage if you were exposed to that because again th those guys were doing something co totally different at that point and i was always drawn to stuff that was um, different and outside of the norm so yeah i would say the hardy boys bam bam bigelow um you know and then later on guys like kurt angle um a huge huge fan of kurt angle um once i become a little bit more wiser to things uh i i started to appreciate those guys that i would consider like the, the total package you know they can do the comedy they can do the mic work they can do the in-ring stuff but then when they need to they can turn it up a notch and you know really make you hate them or be really intense and visceral and have a really intense brawl you know those guys that can do it all those are the ones that are real money makers in my mind so i think you, you you're talking about the hardies mm. there um that would explain i guess your love for all things tables, ladders, so, and chairs. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've, it's funny, isn't it? Because you circle back to things. Um, when I was starting out and I was doing those stuff, that stuff in the garden with my brother, and then I did my own show, I was a huge ECW fan. I was a huge fan of Hardys. And so I, again, monkey see, monkey do. I was emulating what I was watching. And a lot of what I was watching was that hardcore style. And I was kind of, you know, enamored by it. And uh, so, I, yeah, I threw myself through a fair number of those cheap pasting tables that you could get from Wilkinson's, um, you know, as, as many as I can get my hands on at that, at that time and borrowing ladders and pots and pans and whatever I could find in the house. Um, and uh, but then when I started training and getting more into the, like, the professional side of things, you know, people were saying uh, the advice I was getting was don't do that. You know, steer well clear of that. You want to you want to be a wrestler. You don't want to be a backyard garbage kind of guy so you know i learned more of the technical aspect of, of wrestling and how to put a match together without relying on gimmicks and all that sort of thing and so for many 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 years i didn't do any of that i didn't touch it at all. i didn't go near it not because i was actively steering myself away from it but just because i had sort of transitioned into being um a real wrestler with air quotes there um so I, you know, I wasn't doing the hardcore shtick, but now that I, once I'd sort of got a foothold and I was more kind of like, you know, this is, I'm, I'm in it now. Um, I decided that I wanted to go back to it because I was good at it. I, I genuinely feel, and there's not many things you'll, you guys know me, you've hung around me a while. I don't, I don't big myself up very often, but there are certain things that I think if you are good at them, you need to acknowledge that, take stock of it. Um, and I thought that I was good at doing 
matches that had that hardcore element to them. And I wouldn't say that what I was doing was deathmatch wrestling or overly bloody or overly dangerous. It was that kind of almost PG-13 WWE Attitude Era hardcore stuff that just took what could have been a good match and, and upped it, elevated it by adding in that extra level of danger or perceived danger in the audience's mind. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, I want to carve my niche and make myself marketable and, and have a run, uh, you know, that is memorable. And I thought the best way to do that was to do, was to do hardcore matches. And that, what took you or, or got your got you your place at big league wrestling well there's there's a funny story behind that i i was originally booked um for big league because i was somebody else's lift um i, I there there was a there was a wrestler that was booked on the show uh, who did not have his own means of travel and so i i because i live local to that wrestler took them up um and I think part of the deal was was that I would get match on the card. And I remembered vividly I wrestled um, uh, Psycho Phillips. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wrestled a little bit with Psycho Phillips before and I knew him quite well. It wasn't a great match. I was, again, I wasn't doing anything hardcore. It was just a straight match. It wasn't phenomenal. Um, but we got through it. And it was one of those first experiences of being in front of a wised up crowd who were there to, they were probably there to see Del Rio or Anderson or MVP or whoever was booked on that night. Um, you know, the big international import guys. And so they see these two lads, uh, you know, that psycho Phillips, I think had been making a little bit of a name for himself in that area. I've never been seen in that area. And so it's trial by fire, isn't it? They're going to heckle you. They're going to give you a hard time and see how you respond. You know, we got through the match. It was okay. It was competent. It wasn't great. Um, I get the repeat booking and I remember talking to the promoter and I, I just happened to say to him, look, you know, if, if you ever want to promote anything, like a hardcore match, please do keep me in mind because that's very much kind of my bread and butter. And that's what I'm trying to do with my character at the moment. So I think the next match I wrestled was against McCluskey, Jake McCluskey. And again, wasn't hardcore, but by its very nature of, I know McCluskey very well. We've wrestled each other Absolutely, a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, and, mm. and he is one hell of a performer, like probably the most underrated guy in British wrestling today, in my opinion. Um, we we had a we had a great match, and this time I think the crowd was a little bit more um, open and welcoming to me. Um, and we had, you know we just went out there and did everything that we do, and it was f brilliant. And I think that sort of earned me a tiny bit more trust. And so the third time, third time's a charm. Everything comes in threes in wrestling. I go back to big league, and <laughs> I I'm in a triple threat. Uh, hardcore match with uh, Chris Andrews and the Lion Kid. And again, um, it goes really well. At one stage in that match, uh, we had a, a sort of a, a bevy of things underneath the ring, one of which was a keyboard, uh, as in like a keyboard from um, a computer. And it, I didn't even swing it. I was the one that got hit with the keyboard. But the visual of this keyboard shattering into a thousand pieces over my cranium and keys flying everywhere mm -hmm. just elicited this massive reaction from the crowd. And they wanted to see it more and more. But uh, Lion Kid um, 
stopped being used after that. And, and I was going to now be transitioned into doing more hardcore matches. And so I was the one, they sort of said to me like, Oh, you know, make sure you've got a collection of keyboards with you. And so the keyboard warrior thing kind of grew organically out of that. I just started going to big leagues shows with big bags full of keyboards and making them part of my match. Amazing. Um, and it was so organic and natural. And I was still a villain at first. You know, I was still very much hated up in that area. But little by little, it was almost like that. And I hate comparing myself to actual superstars, but it was that very similar kind of Tommy Dreamer-esque. Um, you know, he wasn't accepted by the fans, but the more he put his body on the line, the more they started to love him. I started to take bigger risks and do more dangerous things in these matches. And I think it earned the respect of that audience. And very organically became a fan favorite and at the same time augmented the keyboard warrior as being part of my regular, my regular gimmick. It's incredible. So where, where can we and where can the fans find out more about big league wrestling? Where, whereabouts do they run shows? Well, unfortunately big league wrestling um, has now um, folded, but well, I say folded, they've been, they've, they've joined forces and been in, and, and swallowed up by um, ultimate pro wrestling. So okay. they used to do a lot of the Southwest area kind of Exeter area. Um, and I think UPW were doing in the similar sort of areas as well. So I know that um, big league will, um, will not be continuing, but a lot of the venues that big league ran um, will be um, sort of swallowed up and used by UPW at the moment. I am not set to appear on any UPW events. Um, I I may have possibly run in and dropped Jake McCluskey on his head. There's a little bit of a little bit of a history there between myself and McCluskey. I don't know if you guys are aware, but um, there was a, a blowout match, uh, Survivor Series tag between Big League and UPW, um, and Jake was my one of my tag partners on Team Big League. And um, he turned his back on me. He turned his back on the big league fans and um, gave me his finisher, the unique um, to the side of the head and, and basically took me out of the match. And so I returned the favor. I, I invaded uh, UPW after he just finished his match and dropped him square on his bonds. Um, but, you know, I, I, as I say, I'm waiting for my invitation to return to UPW. We'll see what happens there. Um, and if you want to keep track on that, you can always follow my social media or indeed ultimate pro wrestling. Fantastic. So moving along then, you, you've you told us a, a bit about sort of your biggest influence in the early days. And obviously now you actually train quite a lot of people. You, you, you've, you've helped uh, Brad and I train um, years back and, and, and still um, come up fairly regularly to the Square One Academy. Um, what would you say is your biggest or your single biggest piece of advice to anyone who's you know, fresh in the door, probably three months in. What, what, what would what would you say to them? Yeah, I, 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 I just before we go into that, like preface that by saying that, you know, I've not achieved so much that I possibly should be in a position where I'm I'm imparting knowledge onto other wrestlers. There are certain people out there that would say, you know, he never made it to any of the big promotions. He's not even travelled overseas. He's, you know, he's, what has he really done? Why should he be passing on knowledge? And to a certain degree, they are right. However, the, if you know me, you know my private life, um, I love teaching in, in any form. I love teaching. I am outside of wrestling. I have a career involved in, in the education sector. And um, I've always had that 
urge to work with people who want to learn and you know never is it is that more apparent than in, in a wrestling situation where you've got guys that are hungry and they soak up knowledge so I very much look forward to doing seminars, especially with um, Square One and some of the other places that I've been recently, um, because the boys and girls there, um, they're all like sponges. They just want to soak up knowledge. And I always say to them, you know, take on board the bits that make sense to you. Take it all with a pinch of salt. Um, and if there's bits in there that you think, ah, oh, that doesn't really apply to me, then discard it. Don't be rude about it, but just mentally make a note. I'm not going to use that particular part, but if you can take one thing away from every seminar that you go to, then you're going to end up being um, a very, very well-rounded wrestler. So going back to answering your question um, about what's the biggest piece of advice. I think I said this before um, to several people, but it's something that I wish I'd done myself. um, And that is invest in yourself. So when I started in wrestling, I was young, I didn't have any money. And then I had a family and suddenly I didn't have any money. And now I'm old and I've got a mortgage and I still don't have any money. So I've never been able to fully invest in myself. And what I mean by that is, you know, order some really high quality, expensive gear, get some professional photos done, spend some money getting a proper editor to put together your highlight reel put together merchandise, um, put together, you, you know, you present yourself as a total package. You know, again, you're with anything, you are a commodity. You are trying to sell yourself as a product. Uh, think about all the different ways that you are sold products. You know, think about the fact that you are, whenever you buy something, you've probably seen it on a billboard. You've seen it in newspapers. You've seen it on the internet. You've seen it on TV. You've heard it on the radio. You have been exposed to it and bombarded with it from all angles. If you can figure out a way to get into as many different avenues to um, let people see your product, make sure your product is polished. You've put some effort, you've invested some time, money and energy into it. Then you are going to go further quicker. Um, you know, more it's in my, in my opinion, it's just as important as learning how to do the stuff between the ropes. So yeah, please do. If you ever have an opportunity to give some money, um, invest in yourself, put the money into yourself. And I think on that one piece of advice alone proves to me, proves to Brad, proves to everyone, the, the reason why you should be teaching people. I think that is some very solid, very sound advice. Um, and there are there are fantastic wrestlers out there on the scene that would make terrible teachers. And there are good, solid workers out on the scene that, like you say, may not have been abroad, may not have made it to a, a big name, may not have been signed, but they are fantastic teachers and can certainly impart knowledge and that that piece of advice proves that i think carl thank you so my first my first memory of you carl and actually my first memory that stuck with me of um, ubw um was a show in bedford where you made your entrance um you had your um silk blue hoodie gown thing on um head down beard music as you were saying about making um, like investing in yourself so obviously you've gone out and you've got that bit of gear that suits you it suited who you are and your head down the music like you couldn't see your face you could just see your big beard 
And I just thought, hell, this guy's here to like, you know, uh, rock some rock, rock it up. And I don't want to swear, but you know, um, you were there, you meant business. And like, even with that, you, you, you obviously, you, you've played onto your strengths, your size, the big beard, and you've invested in yourself to the point where you've got a bit of entrance gear that, that stood out for me. And that was my first memory. I was like, Oh hell, this guy's mm. going to mess, mess this place up. And, That'll always stick with me. That's before I knew you personally. Oh, nice. I was a fan then. I literally was just and, so yeah. That your entrance, I was like, and, God and, damn, know, this honestly, that was like the, that is something that's still very much in development. You know, I've I've recently added. Um, I've got the keyboard um, Buster Sword, which um, I've added in as another element to my entrance. Uh, you know, that giant broad Final Fantasy inspired broadsword inspired, that's yeah, made yeah, out of keyboards. Yeah, yeah. You know, I brought that out. I made that at home um, and I brought that out and it's interesting. And, and I think it pretty, again, proves my point right. As soon as I put the picture up with that keyboard sword, it was probably one of the most liked, commented on, shared photos that I've put out on social mm. media. No, you know, forget the fact that a couple of years ago I've been kicked off a balcony through a table. That, that got no love compared to making a sword in my dad's garage you know again so if that if that moment there doesn't tell you that investing your in yourself is is the way to go then then um i don't know what is and it's about it's about having mm. usps as well isn't it? unique selling I mean, points absolutely no, there, there there is no one else doing doing that whereas i mean how, how many videos if you went onto youtube now how many videos can you see of someone falling off of a balcony? Yeah, absolutely. My, I mean, good... not not to not to put it down. It's 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 a huge part of of a match, huge high high spot. But you know, in terms of it's a, a good friend of ours, Rishi Ghosh, would say, um, "Where's the value?" And that that's honestly that question has stuck with me more so than any anything I've ever learned from anyone. And you know, I take uh, you know we we kind of take it as a bit of banter now between the two of us. But he always says to me, he's like. Um, where's the value you know if you're going to do this big bump or you're going to land on you know a thousand thumbtacks or whatever he, he says to me where's the value and if i can justify it then he he sort of nods and smiles but yeah. it's it's can you justify why are you doing that where is the value what are what is your what are your fans and what are you getting out of that and does the risk and reward balance out so there was no risk in me making a keyboard sword and the reward was massive. Whereas there's plenty of risk in me getting kicked off a balcony yeah. and the reward on that particular occasion was, was not worth the risk. So again, I think it's just got to be a little bit of common sense and an internal discussion with yourself about, you know, what is a reasonable um, level of risk to take on this particular night. Whilst we take a short break, we want you to take note of the following website, Samaritans.org. The Samaritans are a charitable organization who support some of the most vulnerable people in their hour of need. Now more than ever, they need your help, whether that be a one-off or a monthly donation. Reason being is that 30% of their volunteers are currently in self-isolation, but their phone lines remain open. They also have a useful guide online if you are struggling with your mental health during the current outbreak. If you know someone who is, share the resource with them. Stay safe, stay indoors, and visit Samaritans.org.
This week's product of the week is an app. It's an app called Strava. It's an app that I was recommended to uh, to try out this week, um, and I've started the free trial. It allows you to track and log all of your running, your walking, your cycling, all, all of your training, basically. Um, so whilst you're out and about getting your exercise in your local area, and uh, during this period of self-isolation where obviously gyms are closed, I think this is a fantastic way of keeping track of what you're doing. Um, I've been on a couple of runs and a couple of walks this week. Uh, so it calculates all of that activity up, um, presents back um, a map of your route as well that, you, that you've taken and allows you to give kudos to other people uh, in your friend network. So please check it out. It's Strava, strava strava.com. Okay, so we've just spoken there about risk and reward. Let's talk about the risk and reward behind starting up your own promotion, not those early shows that are back back in the school hall. Let's talk about Kapow. Okay, so... Um, Kapow was, um, my brain baby. Um, I remember I was working, I was working a job where I was, um, it's what's known as a cover supervisor. So it's like the old scar, old style supply teaching, but I was only employed by one school. Um, it's not like you rock up every day to a new school, new class, whatever you're employed by the same school and you cover lessons for teachers who knew that they were going to be out doing meetings or whatever like that okay so there's not a huge amount to do you take the register you make sure that the the kids are on task uh usually they've been told by the teacher what it is that they've got to do in advance um and so you are essentially just ensuring health and safety is happening and looking after the kids so that left me with a lot of time to think and so I started thinking about, I was very much inspired by Chikara. I'd started watching Chikara a lot. And I loved the comic book come to life aspect of that style of wrestling. And I thought, well, I want to do a show that is exactly that. It's a comic book that's come to life. Now, I had done some other shows. I'd run two events um, at the Chamberlain, no, sorry, at the Buckland Community Centre. Um, under the squared circle wrestling banner, oh, wow. um, which were which were quite good, you know. I, you know, I had like Joel Redman, um, Marty Skull was on that show, and uh, you know, I had some some fairly decent, you know, recognisable names: um, James Ty, Andy Simmons. Those kind of guys were on those shows at the time. Um, so I I built up a little bit more experience in terms of as a promoter by this point, anyway, outside of just doing those you know, rubbish backyard quality shows. So I was starting to sort of find my feet. And I, again, I'm a creative guy and, and I was really feeling like I wanted to have that creative itch of creating a product from the ground up and, and, and having that sense of pride of seeing a show come together and have it be successful. So all at the same time, and again, life is very serendipitous in this way. Um, I had moved to London and I was in the process of moving back because I'd met my current partner there. Uh, I had enough of living in London. I wanted to come back down South and live down South. I was in the process of doing that. And, 
by pure chance someone was selling a ring and I happened to be in a position where um, through myself and a chance meeting with Will Armstrong we put together a plan to purchase enough of this ring in terms of putting the down payment on it and then paying off the rest of the ring by doing uh, ring rentals for another little sort of almost backyard style promotion down this way um, basically just saying like we'll, we'll continue to do the ring rentals for them that you were you had started um, the prior owner of this ring that is and uh, we'll send you the cash to pay off the rest of the ring and so uh, it didn't take us long we paid off um, a portion of it and we bought this ring and so at the same time to start generating some money we started running training weekends and we found a venue where we could put together um, you know the ring in the hall and leave it there overnight and uh, you know, we had enough people um, associated with us to put together, you know, very, very nice little training weekends. And it, before long, it was very apparent that we had a roster. And because I was at the forefront of all of this saying, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if, you know, I was doing this um, Mexican Hulk Hogan gimmick. And and if you if, if you know, you want to be majorly buff so you could be. You could be like the super soldier. You could be like my Captain America character. And then, oh, and, the, you know, you guys, you could be like my right to censor. You could be like the anti-fun police because, you know, while the rest of us, you know, we've got the trash man, you've got El Tecco Supremo, Major Lee Buff. We need to have the antithesis of that on the other side of the card being like the guys that are in black and white straight suits who are, you know, I don't like colors. I don't like fun. I don't like gimmicks. Um, so again, very organically through just spitballing these kind of ideas, little by little did Kapow sort of come into fruition. And actually the first ever show that we promoted was really, wasn't really even mine. Um, uh, we had two venues, we had Horsham and Porchester. Now Horsham is very much Will's neck of the woods and Porchester was mine. And so he was quite responsible for promoting, the Horsham card and I was um, responsible for promoting the Porchester card and both of them were a success in their own right um, but Porchester was the one that because I was in charge of it and it you know I just felt like I was very very proud of that and off to the races we went you know we started promoting more and more shows we found more and more venues um, you know we, we had some some knockbacks we had some successes and, uh, you know, again, you talk about risk and reward. Suddenly it's very different. Um, the rewards are greater. Uh, you just get that. I was never a businessman. I was never interested in, in too much in making money. I just wanted to make sure that we had enough to survive to the next show. Um, but what I was interested in is being creatively satisfied with the product. I wanted to feel like what we were making was different but good. And that's where I took my satisfaction from. So sometimes that worked and the, re the reward was, was phenomenal. Um, other times, the, and this is why I think I dropped out of it eventually, was it, when you have those shows that aren't very well attended. And again, I'm not very business minded. And again, I probably shouldn't have been a promoter, where hence I'm not anymore. But, I, you know, those moments where you walk into the backstage area and you're like, sorry lads it's it's not very good out there um they they cut you really deep if you're like me and you really care about that sort of stuff you know to have to go back to your troops and say sorry lads it doesn't look great out there you know I'm, I, I might be able to pay you this much or i'll have to pay you you know next time i see you or whatever it is that that is gutting 
and uh, and that knocks it takes all the wind out of your sails. It knocks you through a loop. It is like a gut punch that you don't quite ever recover from um, until you have another show that is a success at least, and then it's kind of like all forgotten and forgiven. But that's that again. That's that risk reward element of you know we did a lot of during my time at Kapow, we had a lot of successful shows. We had a few that weren't great, but those few that weren't great really, really hurt me. And um, the stress of that became too much. There was a lot of reasons why there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons why I had to walk away from Kapow in the end. Um, And there's still a fair bit of muddy water under that bridge that I haven't fully discussed with the people involved, but um, it, it was it was a difficult time for me to have to walk away from that, but I think it was a one hundred percent the right move. Um, so I mean, you guys are aware that Will took over the reins one hundred percent. There was no shared responsibility anymore. It was all him, and he was a money man. He was uh, a businessman, and he has made it a successful business. Um, and given the roster way more opportunities to be out there and wrestling than I could ever have provided. So although. Kapow is different to how it started. Um, it is a credit to Will that it is still going and it is a success in some in some respects. Yeah, and so it started in 2013, is that right? Uh, I'm rubbish at remembering dates, but that does sound about right. Um, yeah. I think I think it was because that was the that was the year that I started my journey. Um in pro wrestling and and I think it was about after a year maybe less than a year was um when I met you uh I think Kev uh Chuck Cyrus as well up at um Danny Collins Danny Danny Collins is Yeah that was a, that was an an amazing weekend again a huge opportunity um yeah I do remember meeting you there I I, I thought I I had a recollection that I'd met you before that but maybe not but I remember that weekend was great fun you know we connected with a lot of great guys um Danny Collins is again uh just a a well of knowledge um and put together a really amazing weekend for us and uh you know I was fortunate again to have the opportunity to wrestle that weekend and I wrestled um Chuck Cyrus um, for Falling Star. That was Falling Star. And, and yeah, I remember yeah, you yeah. were in the audience. I think we was, was Kev yeah. in the audience or was Kev refereeing that night? Uh, I think he was. He was sat next yeah. to me. Yeah, in the yeah. Audience. And I remember um, we 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 put together a competent little match based on a lot of what we wanted to do. The you know we put in things that Danny had taught us that weekend to kind of impress him and show him that we paid attention. But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a competent little match and. Um, it was it was a very good match actually, and I think it stuck out on the card, and it got the I got the reaction that you guys deserved. Um, a lot of a lot of audience participation. A lot of yeah, I, you know, and it was um, any time. I'm always grateful of any opportunity to get in the ring, but to get in the ring with um, someone who at the time was a good friend of mine, and um, in front of the guy that's just trained you for a whole weekend. And again, in front of new friends like yourself and old friends like Kev, you know, that, those are the opportunities that I live for. Yeah. That's great. So my first, my apart from the UBW show where I was sat in the audience, I think first time I really sat and spoke to you was that first weekend, a uh, training weekend I did with Kapow down at, oh, I can't remember where it was now. Um, school hall, Oh, what's the name of the place? Lit, lit, um, do you remember it wasn't Hugo Hampton? 
No. Um, but yeah, again, that was that mm. was a weekend one run by yourself, Carl, and that was um, an incredible learning experience. That was kind of my first. I've been doing uh, twice a week training um, at the school um, associated to UBW, but that was kind of my first full on weekend of um, two days straight of learning, being around and in the ring. Um, I think we had a hotel nearby, but we went for dinner afterwards. And that was my first experience of being yeah. part of what, what wrestling family kind of was. And that really stuck with me. That, that That's interesting how, that you say um, about the whole kind of experience was. about wrestling family, especially as that was your first experience at a wrestling school, because um, I, I was always very proud of the fact that at our training seminars, at our weekends that we did, we had so much fun, but it was, it was never at, at, at a detriment to the productivity. We were so, we did loads and I, I look back on some of those sessions and I, you know, the, the cardio that was required across those two days was a, a crazy because my teaching style at the time was to show a little bit of something, build on it, show a little bit more, build on that, show a little bit more, build on that. And with the ultimate goal of at the end of the day, you'll be able to put together this sequence that lasts, you know, almost five minutes of like just nonstop sequence wrestling. Um, you know, again, we're tying into that, ring positioning um selling showing out positioning timing all, all of those different things but into one really long cardio busting segment that was my teaching style at the time and and so we always some of the stuff that we do by the end of the day was was incredible um especially considering how knackered we were as some sometimes it was in the middle of summer and it was a hot day and sometimes we'd even have the ring outside and it was just we were cooking in the sun and it was yeah but I, again, I just I love the fact that we could we could get so much out of those weekends without being drill sergeants and taking it super seriously and everyone do a hundred squats right now, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I think you know wrestling at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying it, what's the point? Um, and I very much was like, you can have fun with this. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be like going to school. You know, it doesn't have to be something again, that's a part of like my, my background of like, I don't necessarily think that education should always feel like a slog. Sometimes it can do, it can be just a bit of fun. Um, you know, certainly in the classroom, you, you want to try and inspire your students. And the best way to do that is to make it engaging and interesting and fun. Why is that mentality different for wrestling? or why should it be i didn't see the point i was like if we can make this engaging and fun and if i can ask questions that get the guys to think for themselves then they're going to progress faster and and, and develop faster like my like like students in a classroom would you had some you had mm, some phenomenal definitely. training um well trainers actually at capel across those weekenders i'm just i'm just thinking of names now that that stick out obviously there was yourself yeah, Ant Ladash. He he was also one of the coaches for some of those weekenders. Priscilla, yeah. um, obviously huge. Chuck Chuck Cyrus huge, would drop um, in talent. Um, Chuck uh, Rishi, Rishi as well. Rishi now running. I think we did we uh, we had we had Flash Barker come and do um, a session down there, and you know names like Chris Kay as well came down. You know, so we we tried to throw in old school and new school um, and. Uh, Again, 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 that goes back to my mentality of the best way to learn is to absorb as much as you can from as many different sources as possible. Take take what you like Absolutely. and then piece it together yourself. The trouble with um, 
being trained under one trainer for your entire career is that you do just naturally end up being a little bit of a cookie cutter wrestler of what they would have been. Um, so yeah, I, I was fortunate Agreed. enough and, yeah. and through sure pure happenstance like because again i couldn't afford to go to the fw academy every weekend i was trying to um learn as many different ways as i could and at the time uh, i would go to local events to help set up the ring and just ask you know can i can i get in the ring like just before the show can i have a little bump around and show you what i can do and i remember going to like phil powers's shows and you know getting in the ring with um guys like uh well like himself who would come in and throw me around and um you know i think i met chris k through a similar sort of situation and uh i remember doing um training seminars with uh sammy sammy zane or as he is known now and uh you know and danny collins and so and every time i did something with someone new i did exactly that i took one or two things away that i liked stuck it into but you almost like the lego brick building of carl atlas it was every time i was adding a new brick um and the the model became more complex but more nuanced you know and i think you, you mentioned there about being thrown around um brad will have a fond recollection of our very first match at kapow actually uh yeah as a tag yeah definitely it was um well there was the unofficial start and the official start of the heartbreakers uh, the official start was us versus Beards um, at Little Hampton, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, me and Hugo got for our finisher off the turnbuckle, the old military press, um, the press above the head. And yeah, that was, um, I think that press lasted all <laughs> of five seconds before my, yeah. sorry, my arms yeah, buckled away. Right. Um, and what was the unofficial one then? Um, it was That's... a four corners tag match. Hugo. Tag together on that Hugo night. Hugo caught your one arm. Yes, because it was yes. it was billed yeah. as uh, UBW versus Kapow four corners, wasn't it? So it was me and it was Steve Steve Luther, wasn't it? Against um, Steve Ma- uh, Majorly Buff and Carmen Okami. So that was the two Kapow teams. And then it was you two and yeah, Paddy O'Connor and Ricky. Ricky Corsons, yeah, Paddy and Ricky. And it came down yeah. to me and Steve versus Paddy and Ricky at the end. And and before that, we had had the big um, section where everyone um, dove out of the ring, me, me being last, thinking, well, there's, there's seven guys here. This will be fine. I can finally do the big moonsault and, and feel confident that I'm not going to die. And of the seven of you, to, to some of your defence, I flew further than I expected, and I think I went completely over the top of some guys. So they did. had no chance of catching me. <laughs> but the, <laughs> well, Brad, I, my memory of it is, is that me. you were off to the side, basically watching this happen. Like, <laughs> oh, that's quite impressive, actually, isn't it? And then I, I land on poor Hugo's shoulder, which is the only thing that slows me down enough to not break a leg or a hip on landing. And then. I'm sure then, it pulled my Well, out. you know, I'm you, you, sure you it said it was like catching a Smeg fridge, um, which, you know, is, is a line that will live in infamy. Um, <laughs> so I land, I bounced off of you, and I, it slowed me just enough. I landed on my hip, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, no, like that's like a real kind of dead leg Charlie horse feeling. 
and the bruise on my hip that came out the days later was massive it was like a big bit of steak on the side of my buttock slash hip uh, and, I, and there's a clip of me walking past the camera saying <laughs> my hip is literally dust um you know quoting anchorman oh no not anchorman um uh, austin powers and um so i can i can in fact confirm, as you said uh, and i was Brad like was oh, i should probably bump this now after standing uh, in wonder and staring at this beautiful friend. It was, it was like a, it was a top, like dominoes yeah. toppling over yeah. one by one. The, the the main the main body of the the catch, which like I say, Carl sort of sailed over, like fell, and then Brad sort of fell. <laughs> See if we can dig out that video because it is it's is quite funny. Though. Oh, the the, the video is out there. I don't I don't think there's any digging needed. It's all Carl, it's all Carl, over. Any time I put oh, together a highlight reel, I put it in there because I think, well, you know, risk versus reward. That <laughs> if I'm going to get something out of this, I may as well make sure that I put it out there as much as possible because it is it is still one of my most forever. impressive dives to date. Oh, good um, times. Topped only recently by the Fosbury flop at um, Big League. Um, because nobody expected to see that. I think. Um, you have you not seen the video? Over the top rope. Uh, the, in 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 that in that no, um, uh, multi man uh, UBW versus um, big league match. Uh, yeah, I, I I hit the sort of what, what is called the Fosby flop, isn't it? It's the kind of no handed the high jump, the, yeah, yeah, the high the jump high moonsault. Jump. Yeah, exactly yeah. that um, over the top rope onto a, a bevy of bodies on the bottom. Um, Again, I you know I I like surprising people, and I don't, again nobody expected to see a guy my size and weight to be able to do that. So um, that was a real moment. Yeah, yeah, and actually, um, I would argue safer than some of the other stuff that I've done. But um, it's one of those you know there is a a window of of opportunity um, for that to to happen and for it to be safe. You just got to make sure that you know what you're doing. Um, I would, and it's not one that I will pull out regularly. At least, at least we won't have, have you sailing over the top of us as, as we missed to catch you on that one. Then, no, no, that not that, not on that one. Perhaps <laughs> I'll save that for the big shows. You, you say, you say, Sorry, <laughs> I, I was there. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today. Um, well, it's guys, been a pleasure. So Thank you very, very much, much for having me on. Um, Carl, where where can the fans and 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 the workers uh, catch you on social media? Whereabouts? I know, obviously, uh, current circumstances we're standing, but where 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 can the fans expect to see you in the coming? Funnily future? enough, uh, one of the things that I've been doing with my time is kind of um, putting some effort into my social media um, presence. So um, I've got YouTube channels. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know, just search for Carl Atlas. I don't, I can't remember all the particular handles, but just search for Carl Atlas. You'll find me. Um, I'm trying to put out video content regularly at the moment on my YouTube channel. I'm doing um, sort of weekly live videos on my Facebook at the moment. Um, working on my own podcast with um, my tag partner Sam. Um, so yeah, there, there's lots of stuff. There's lots of ways to see me. Just, just you know, keep your eyes peeled. Look, look for me. Nice one. So. Uh- 
on Facebook, it's at that's Carl the one. Atlas that's UK. the one, and 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 at that is Carl the main Atlas one as well. Like, you know, I do I dip into the others, but if you want if you if you want to contact me or or see where I'm most up to date, um, Facebook is where it's at. I mean, you're not a big TikTok man, you know, because I hear that sort oh, of. Oh, so my daughter is very much into TikTok, and and my my partner has um been putting stuff out there. So there are some extremely amusing videos of me super kicking my children. Um, if you want to look into that, but you know, a quarantine will make you do crazy things, right? I think there's a distinct lack of wrestling content on TikTok at the moment. I think that's going to have to be um be upped during this time oh, we, of quarantine. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. See, well, you shouldn't have let the cat out of the bag there, though, Brad. You should have just gone for it. Ah, oh, damn, damn. Well, anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, Carl, for being on. No, really thank you. It, thank man. you. It's been a pleasure. It's time for the tip of the week for when the tip is more than enough. Hello, my friends, it's Jethro here. Welcome to Tipple of the Week. Yes, delighted. Thank you, heavyweight heartbreakers, for finally recognising how important I am to, to, to all this stuff and things. And uh, well done on your podcast. Getting an interview from Johnny Storm, how much did that cost you? Yes, yes. I bet he's not going to book you on the holiday camps, though, is he? <laughs> anyway, right, Tipple of the Week. So, my friends, we're, we're all in lockdown. We're all uh, inside our houses. We're not going out anywhere. We're, 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 we're having a wonderful time playing Fortnite and, and communicating on social media. Media of these other, so so it's time to go to the back of your cupboard and, and find what booze you have there. Now everybody's got a bottle of gin and everybody's got a bottle of vermouth. If you know what I mean by vermouth, you, you're thinking martini, right? So we're going to make a vodka martini. So my friends, what you need to do is find yourself a glass. A pint glass works very very well for this. Fill that to the brim with gin, and um, then to make the perfect vodka martini, you need to take the vermouth. Open the vermouth and wave it in the general direction of Italy and put it in the back of the cupboard and then drink the gin. And that's the perfect vodka martini. And uh, and that is, is Jethro's tipple of the week. Yes, thank you. Uh, it was tipple, wasn't it? It wasn't tit of the week, was it? Because if it was tit of the week, then it, it's, it's probably going to be that egotistical nightmare, you know, who's all over everything. Yes, tipple of the week. Thank you. Goodbye. Before we close the curtains on episode three, I thought I should share with you who we have on next Monday's show for episode four. He started training in 96. He went pro in 98. He is one half of the first ever FWA Tag Team Champions, one half of the first ever IPW UK Tag Team Champions, and is trained with some of the biggest names in wrestling, in Dave Taylor, William Regal, Daniel Bryan, and Chris Benoit, and went on to have a tryout for WWE. He then joined me at Ultimate British Wrestling in 2013 and became one of my first and longest standing coaches he is paul ash so if you have any questions for ash please submit them on social media at facebook.com forward slash heavyweight heartbreakers on instagram using at hugo bloom pro wrestler or at brad underscore tannen and we will ask them on next week's show that's all we've got time for now so thank you tune in next week and stay safe